RC Scrap Off Podcast. Today's guest, Terry Wiles, number two. We're going to get it right this time for you, Terry. Okay. Sorry, man. I apologize about that last run. I feel, I feel really bad about that. No, I was, all right. I was not educated in the way of the Wiles. Well, basically what it amounts to is I assumed that you guys knew about Terry because me and Mike did. So I was like, well, surely they do too. Dude, no idea. I, man, I, I thought, thought it was the guy that painted props. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the many talents. I, we, yeah. I mean, we found out more as we went along, but if I would have been a little bit more ready, I would have, I would have had some more questions. I feel bad. Terry, we apologize and thank you for doing oh, this it's, again. It's all good. I'm just an average hobbyist like you guys. Uh, well, you're an above average hobbyist compared to my ass. I'll put it that way. Yeah. No, I always just say I've got more time to spend than most people, so that's my problem. <laughs> I need that problem. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's one. I guess that is an advantage to living in the Great White North. You have a lot of building time. Well, we do have winter time, you know, building time, and uh, yeah, this winter is actually. I was just thinking about that. It seems like it was just a couple of weeks ago that we saw you guys in Texas, and now we're out flying again already. So it's actually a pretty short winter for us. See, we've had the opposite effect. We had the worst winter in a hundred years here for a week. Yeah. Dude, yeah, that one week, week that, was that like 3,800 kilowatt hours at my house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I looked up my electric bill. It's not going to be good. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I don't know. I, haven't... I was actually surprised my gas bill was not very expensive at all. It was about $30 higher than normal. Yeah, same here. Yeah, my electric's going to be double. You haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. Yeah, they probably don't have heat pumps in South Dakota. It's a pretty common thing here. Right. So. Oh, it's so like uh, geothermal or heat pump like out of the air? Uh, heat just, pump's uh, basically an AC unit running in reverse. Right. Your uh, condenser oh, and your evaporator okay. gotcha. swap no. locations. You, you can, but it's usually an auxiliary unit. Yeah. No, they, they work for about... The entire year minus what two weeks here usually. Yeah. Do you have emergency yeah. heat? Do you yeah. have emergency heat? Too? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it just costs a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's expensive. Sucking the kilowatts. Yeah, hell, meters out there turning flips. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I went through three tanks of propane just working out in the garage. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Terry, tell us. Uh, let's get into that Z two hundred a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, definitely on a lot of people's minds, considering it's fresh brand new and and you helped design a great portion of it correct yeah actually it is my design um i was actually kind of surprised i mean i've been on team aj aircraft for a couple of years now and i was kind of surprised tim and uh andrew called me up and out of the blue and it's like hey how'd you like to design a plane to maybe get us something a little bit you know a little different you know andrew's a you know a world champion pattern pilot and precision pilot and so that's what he knows and so a lot of the a lot of the aj planes have a have a highly precision flair to them you know yeah and uh you know and i'm sort of a sort of an, a low and slow kind of kind of guy i kind of like stable and capable planes and so that's kind of what i went after and i think we came out with something really good basically took a, a good design and and then brought it a little bit more into the 3d world maybe shifted yeah. a little away from precision type but more into more capable 3d is that right yeah right i mean it still draws good lines but um you know in, in design there's always gives and give and take so 
if you're going to take away, you know, you're going to add some stability, you're going to take away something. So, you know, so I tried to keep a little bit of precision, as much of precision as we could into it, but it still has all, is a lot more capable and a lot more stable. So, yeah. Well, we've got a couple of guys down here in our area, uh, Mike Sterling and uh, Mark Nielsen. They both uh, ordered them, got them shipped together. One's building electric, one's building the gas with the GP76. So we've actually got uh, our gas versus electric round two starting up between those two guys. And so we're awesome. we're going to get to see it firsthand, thankfully. And uh, we saw the build that uh, you had done with the 76 and then the uh, – was it the dual sky 6,000.8? Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've run that, that motor before I actually had it on a 3d hobby shop edge and that, that the combination I have is more simple. It doesn't have the belt drive and all that kind of stuff. Obviously a, a little bit, a little bit shorter flight time probably. Um, but it, it's got just stupid power on the plane. I had it on before it was, the plane was almost a little bit too light for the power. Wow. So I'm I'm hoping I I wanted to get the gas one run because um heading heading to uh, Tullahoma fly in in a couple weeks so I'm um, getting got the new flight flight jitters I got a brand new plane I got a maiden I got a brand new radio system I'm not familiar with so I'm kind of feel like a little bit of a noob I'm trying to get some flying time in so I don't look out of place. Yeah, I understand that feeling. Yeah, that's feel <laughs> yeah you jumped radio systems too. What's that? You jumped radio systems too. I see. So, uh, you know, I'm still on the fence there. Um, I'm debating on whether or not making the full commitment, but currently, I'm still. I've only actually got two planes on the new Fataba system, or new to me rather. Sure. Uh, everything else is still on Spectrum, but uh, yeah. I've been talking about making the the full jump. So we'll see how things develop but so uh awesome so i think the burning question is which one do you which which way do we go like gas or electric you've got i'm just gonna go ahead and say gas all the way because (laughs) you know i i like to like to mess around with electric and stuff but uh it just once you're having fun four minutes just ends up really too fast you hear that electric Larry? (laughs) for me I'm, I'm, I mean, when I'm you're flying a jet or an EDF or something like that, <laughs> four minutes is about perfect. You've done everything you can do twice, but with a 3D plane, you're just getting started at four minutes. That's it. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Which so, we got, got electric my Larry suit on after saying all that, but yeah, yeah, we we got Larry over here. You know, affectionately electric Larry. He bought him a 76. Uh, what three weeks ago? Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. so. He, yeah. we, we're getting them converted a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that's a good engine. Um, I, I'm super impressed. I mean, there's nothing against DA. I've owned, I think, six DA-70s over the years, and now I'm all GP-76 and the 123s. That's all I have for for 120cc and 70cc anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got two of the 123s myself, and I'll, they're excellent. I mean, I... I have no complaints about them. All the 76s yep. I've been around have been great. Um, yep. I think Larry, I think he may have put RMJ rings in his already. Um, it, it'll happen before it starts, but I haven't put them in yet. Yeah. But yeah. But you got a brand new engine, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Brand new. Which, uh, Stickers and all. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> <clears throat> so, how did it go today? Uh, well, we didn't really say it, but uh, you test flew the the gas today, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, um, I've actually been out the last couple of days just flying, but uh, today I'm mating, mating, mating the the green Z200, and it went as expected. Flies amazing, and uh, quickly reminded myself uh, how many, how much with, withdrawals I've been having since fall and flying the prototype because it's literally uh, just a a really stable and fun plane. Uh, it's hard to describe until you get get a flight on it. It yeah. just flies. There wasn't that many years ago. I pretty much gave up anything seventy, anything even seventy cc. I didn't have any. Everything was thirty five and forty percent because they just fly so much better. And um, I was just kind of blown away how this came out when I got to fly the prototype and it felt so big. So, well, I know a lot of a lot of guys are still working up the size, you know, and haven't maybe haven't flown thirty five percent planes, but. It's just a completely different feel. Everything is a little bit slower and more precise you know, as far as 3D capability. And, uh, you know, no secrets, you know, no, no, uh, no secrets, but, uh, no surprises. You know, it's not going to just drop out of things unexpectedly. And so that's, that's what I, that's what I'm really happy about with this. I think the, the allure of the seventies for most people would be the, uh, the storage and the hauling size. Cause like I know exactly. Casey's looking at getting, you know, Casey's talked about this plane because we're relatively certain we're going to be able to put this into a Honda Civic. Yeah. We'll, we'll know uh, soon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and with that being said, uh, you know, a 35 percenter would be out of the question. So right. I think that makes, so the stability of a 35 percenter in a smaller package, that's more easy to haul around and, uh, you know, slightly more affordable for guys. I think that's a, a huge thing. I think that's uh, going to be a really good selling point. Absolutely. Um, you know, I always I always say, you know, with regard to the stability and stuff. I when I I'm at events and stuff, and people ask about like my scratch builds and that sort of thing, and I always say, you know, I I always still strongly feel that probably eighty percent of the pilots out there just want to fly and have fun. They don't want to fight with an airplane. They aren't Jace Ducia. You know, they, they just aren't professional pilots. They just want to go out on the weekend and fly and not have to fight with their airplane. And so, you well, know, that's kind of, kind of what I designed for is stability. And like I said, just don't have to, don't have to worry about it doing something that you're not expecting. And so I, I I know when we did, uh, we, I got to do the PAU Viper and it was sort of the same thing. That was a 35% airplane, but I really went after the stability and the beginner type of 3D pilot. And, uh, it was the same thing. I had constantly people calling me and say, Hey man, I did my first rudder drag on a maiden. And it's like, that's perfect. That's exactly what it was designed for. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you said it, you know, I, I'm not a, a Ducia type flyer and to be quite honest i'm not really sure that i've got that ambition in me uh, while i admire the xa a, skill, a, le- a different level of uh, commitment there yeah <laughs> well and for me personally um the xa i appreciate the skill i appreciate what it takes to to do the xa style flying but i admire and and really look forward to watching the nice low and slow people the guys that can really do it well um uh, you know and i've seen uh Jonathan Jennings, he's kind of 
he's in the same age group as, as Jace and he's competed against Jace, but I've seen him do some low and slow flying. That's just phenomenal. And, you know, the guys right. like Kike, uh, I would say even Seth Arnold kind of falls into that group and, uh, yourself, uh, Colton Clark has done some of the coolest low and slow that I've ever seen. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You uh, know, Colton's been a good friend of mine for quite a while and he's, uh, definitely a huge inspiration. Yeah. I just have a, to me, the XA stuff doesn't draw me in quite like the low and slow style 3D. Uh, right. I, I just appreciate it. And to a large degree, I, I, I'm happy to see that at least a few designs here as of recently are kind of catering to that a little bit. I, I feel like Extreme Flight has kind of, they've gone the way of XA largely. Uh, while their planes still do low and slow, they don't do it quite, they're not quite as floaty. For instance, uh, I would say right. that's one of the allures of the 42 percenters, uh, at least the ones I've flown. They were extremely floaty. Um, yeah, there's, they've, they've been actually, from what I've seen and the ones I've flown, and they've, they've actually kind of tried to split down the middle. Some of their stuff is a little more floaty and some of it definitely spins and, you know, flies a little heavier and, you know, rolls faster and that kind of stuff. But yeah, so they've, they've at least tried to split it down the middle, which is, I think, good. I agree. Yeah. I guess where I'm leaning towards is like they're, they're slick and the extra NG, they seem to be more geared towards XA versus, uh, like their MXS carry one that one at Ice House. And man, that thing is, I really like that way that MXS flies. And it's a, an older design at this point. Right. Um, you know, but I love how it flies. But I want to get back on the Z200 a little bit about the, uh, so one of the things Casey and I talked about and making it easier for him to transport is the tail coming off. Uh, I know that you have, uh, two different options on the tail. Can you kind of explain that to us and, and how does Absolutely. the tail come? Does it just bolt on? Uh, does it have like quick release pins and that kind of stuff? Well, on this one, uh, I, I know we are working on, cause everybody's after the quick release on everything. And it's definitely a, a customer driven thing. This, these days, um, people want that convenience. They want to be able to put their stuff together really fast and get to, get to flying and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, on this particular one, I did do two different stab locations. So if, if any of you have followed, you know, some of my scratch builds over the years, I, I've done up to four different stab locations on different planes, just testing, you know, what, what does what, um, because believe it or not, just moving that stab around by like an inch completely changes how how the plane flows. And um, so on this one, I decided to do a rear stab location for for the AJ guys. You know the the uh, the customer base that wants that more precision. Because when you put move that stab back, the plane naturally is going to want to track a little bit better. And, uh, it's going to spin slower. It takes away a little bit of elevator authority. You know, it does that kind of stuff. And when you move it forward, it's going to want to spin better and tumble better and everything else. So, and there's very, very minimal CG effect because you're only moving it about an inch and a half. So an inch and a quarter. So nice. So how Um, did we did not? So, so being that we had two spaces, we did not do a quick release on the stabs because we would have had quadruple the weight of a quick release mechanism. 
Right. Okay. So it's still just standard, like three millimeter bolts or something like that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it's still just four bolts, you know, and some, uh, you know, bonded washers, but I know on, uh, the Z200 and probably this size, you know, if we do do one larger someday, um, we'll probably take a look at what the market has, is like at that point and see if we can do a quick release or maybe just a single stab location. Yeah. Well, for me personally, you know, I know it's different for everyone, but for me personally, the tail bolt on is not detrimental you know right right and even if you're gonna you know if you're gonna cram it in that honda civic you may just have to take one side off yeah so pretty cool yeah i like how he said cram (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty pretty roomy man it actually it is yeah i'm just just envisioning there's gonna be some some shoving going on there so right (laughs) it is on the bigger end of honda civics it's a hatchback uh it's the xl yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the stretch version. It has a yeah. turbo. Yeah, it does have a turbo. It's got five turbos. Yeah. Uh, I doubt Terry, I doubt Terry has heard the the my Civic has Probably five not. turbos. But you you say it's got a turbo. It makes it sound like it's fast. No, no, no. It's it's like the economy turbo. It's, it's, it's an efficiency turbo. Right. It's, it's to give it enough power to get off the line because it's got such a tiny ass motor. You know. Right. It says Briggs and Stratton on the side. Yeah, pretty much, man. One point five liter, and it's a screamer. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it hauled me, Clint, and you down the highway just fine. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's some pounds right there. Yeah. yeah. And was achieving forty two miles of the gallon. Nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, I, I I think we are. We gotta have to take mics or marks and see if we can't fit it in your car. Because I know you've been asking me a lot about 70cc airplanes. Well, man, I think that's probably as big as I can go with what I have to work with. Or you could put a hitch on your Civic. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Then you could get a 42 percenter. Dude, yeah, that's it. I'm going to have a trailer bigger than my car. That's how <laughs> genius. Yeah, but yeah. it won't weigh much. <laughs> I, honestly, at this point, I would probably choose the, the Z200 over the 42s that are available right now. Well, man, really, and this is I'm kind of going to sound like an asshole here a little bit, but if we go somewhere, usually I'm going with one of you guys or something like that, and you guys have a trailer. Yeah. And there's always room for another plane, you know, so we can always make that happen. So my biggest deal is I need to be able to get from my house to the field. So I can enjoy this thing for events and things like that. I've got some awesome buddies that kind of help facilitate. Yeah. Well, I tell you this quick Your release money goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the the quick release that I've seen on the the Z two hundred is it's awesome. I mean, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. And the only yeah. plane I've got with the it's, quick release is the Skywing, which is it's awesome too. And I like I was talking to somebody the other day, you know. Time changes is what two weeks away, mm-hmm. so I'm trying going to try to fly more in the evenings during the week and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, my Skywing would be great. Leave it in the trailer, come home, change trucks, drive six miles, throw the wings on it in about four minutes or less, and, right. and then I'm up and flying. So I think the I think this one would be ideal for something like that. Right. You know. Yeah, and the the mechanism is super tight. Um, uh, the one nice thing that this is actually very nicely timed because the the owners of the factory that produced the AJ planes in the you know historically had retired or moved on so that he sold it to these new guys and 
the new guys also build helicopters, they build electric motors, they do all this stuff. So they have all this machining and CNC capability that we never had before. And um, <clears throat> since I got I got to spend some time talking with the engineers directly and stuff, and they're just their capabilities of you know taking your idea and saying, oh yeah, I get that, you know, and then next thing you know, they got this prototype and. So, yeah, they did a, with being that they can do helicopter parts, they're used to doing these little things and mechanisms and, you know, running these metal, uh, high, high strength shafts and things like we have on the quick release. And they just did a great job on it. So, right. So what's that like dealing with, uh, engineers, uh, that are around the world, essentially? Is there a it's, language barrier? You know, do you have times a day you got to be on the phone? I mean, I've heard, horror stories about guys having to get up at like two in the morning to talk to someone in China, you know, uh, yeah, like that. they've been, they were pretty, pretty, uh, accommodating. Um, I mean, obviously it's strange hours for them, but they were pretty accommodating. You know, we're usually doing it at 10, 11 o'clock at night, our time. Uh, I guess that's not too bad. So, <clears throat> but it's not too bad. I'm uh, other than that. This project is, is been super slow. I mean, I designed this last year, December, and uh, we got, you know, drawings approved and everything else in February. But then with 2020 being everything that it was, you know, uh, it's just everything was slow. I mean, right down to the shipping. I know everybody was waiting for the containers. And, you know, there's literally 30 or 40 container ships anchored off of the port because right now they just can't get in. So, so everybody was pretty patient, you know, getting this in and. So, so I'm super excited to have it here, man. And you had to sit on all that cool stuff and all those cool things that you couldn't talk about for all that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got my prototype in August and it was game on. I was, I went to, uh, between August and September, I got to do demos with it at five different events and we were all over the place. So, wow. I remember but, seeing the little teaser videos. It was like, the side of a fuselage or something, you know, just little tits and bits here and there. And I'm like, what's this? <laughs> Man, I bet I watched that video of him flying in the backyard or wherever he was at. You know, it was just him out there. I bet I watched that video 20 times, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. now something, uh, Carrie Howard's putting, uh, mics together. He just sent us a video. What was that? 20 minutes ago. Oh yeah. Comparing the rudder. He's like, man, this rudder is bigger than the 35% MXS rudder. You he know, said, I hope this rudder is big enough. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if I remember right, uh, you had it up next to a 150 CC, uh, Z two thirty, and it was bigger. Is that correct? Um, yeah, the two thirty. Yeah, it is just a little bit bigger than the, and that's the 115 inch laser. Yeah. Oh, the 115. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it, it, that's the, that's probably the biggest thing for me. Um, when, when you're going to fly a little bit slower post stall, the worst thing that happens is when you run out of rudder. I mean, if you're doing a, a Harrier around in a circle and all of a sudden the plane just starts going straight, that's less than ideal. So a little bigger rudder back there doesn't hurt. And for the guys that want to fly precision, you just do less throw. You know, we didn't do a gigantic counterbalance on it. So it still tracks really good and it doesn't get wonky when you try to do slips and, you know, slow rolls and point rolls. It still tracks amazingly. If you put a gigantic counterbalance on there, then you start to get some roll and some different effects with that counterbalance. It just wants to yank the plane around. So I think we found a good mix where it's great for slow and it's also great for speed. Hmm. I, 
guess I never really considered that with the, uh, like if you have to have knife edge mixing, it could be caused by the counterbalance is what you're saying. Can be, yes. Yeah, okay. there's some planes out there that have just massive counterbalances and, and you can, you can tell if, I mean, I'm lucky I can pretty much build whatever I want. So it's, um, I've experimented with large and actually going back to Colton Clark, he's one of the ones that told me about that. And he said, man, you got to make your counterbalances smaller and told me why. And sure enough. So yeah, he's, I give him huge credit for some of that stuff that I learned is he's a huge tinkerer like me. So yeah, he's one of those guys that, uh, he's not really super active on Facebook, but there, that dude is full of knowledge. I've yeah. picked his brain more than a few times, and that dude, he knows what he's talking about, in my opinion. Yep. <laughs> Actually, one of the best things that he ever did for me, we were flying at an event in San Diego, California, and I think I heard you guys talking about this um, either on Nuts and Bolts or on the regular podcast about throttle blipping. Yeah. And um, so, I, like everybody else, I used to be into that a lot. You know, and you think, you know, everybody else does it. That's what I got to do. And uh, it was kind of funny. You know, we're flying in California and the air is like jello. You know, you're flying. It, it's you're at sea level. And um, here I am throttle blipping and I'm flying around. He comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, quit masturbating that throttle so bad. And you're, <laughs> you're flying real smooth out. And sure enough. I went to more of a steady, stra- steady throttle, and before that, before long, I'm dragging the tail the whole length of the runway and doing torque rolls and things I couldn't do before because I was too busy working on the throttle. And, yeah, no, that was the best thing I ever learned. I, I kind of went through a similar thing with uh, with whenever I first got into big gas planes. I would do that because that's, like you said, that's what everybody did, right? And right. I always found myself really chasing the rudder because – I'm not right. I'm not left-handed. So blipping the throttle, trying to chase the rudder at the same time. I mean, it was just, I I was having a lot of trouble with that. And, uh, so then I, I started doing, I I had a period there where I flew electrics a lot. Uh, I got a 64 inch MXS. I had a Mamba 10. So I was doing a lot of flying with those. Um, I didn't actually have a good gas plane. I had wiped out my only good gas plane at the time and was in a transition period of getting another one. Um, and with electric, I was like, well, I don't need to blip the throttle because the engine's not going to quit on me, you know, or nothing like that. And then, uh, I got my Mamba 70 and I didn't throttle blip anymore. And I was like, man, this thing flies great. So now I, I, it was just kind of by happenstance. No one really told me it was really a, an electric habit that, uh, got me to quit break, you know, quit doing that. And, uh, I, I catch myself doing it every now and again, but it's more like if the engine starts bogging, I'm like, Oh, oh better give, give it a little bit of power. You know, don't want it to quit on me. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I still tend to do it a little bit on a, on a brand new engine. Like the first time I bring it down low or something, cause you can tell, you know, if an engine starts to be your ear and your your brain thinks faster than you can react almost, and so you you can hear if the engine's not running good. So I'll technique I'll do it a little bit when a, when it's a brand new plane, but yeah, but yeah, I, I definitely noticed that same thing on electric. The first uh, large electric that I got, I was still flying my Spectrum DX20, and it had the aluminum gimbals, mm-hmm. 
and uh, they had gotten a little bit sticky, but I never really thought about it or anything until I did the electric. And then you're doing, you're trying to do a smooth throttle, but then it's like, do, 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 just change an RPM because <clears throat> the gimbal is sticky. Well, <laughs> and you never, you know, a gas, you never even noticed it. Well, this will make Larry maybe smile a little bit, but what got me was uh, I went from a gas plane that you could move the, the throttle stick a relatively large amount. And you didn't, it didn't climb or descend. You could blip the throttle and it would stay relatively smooth because, you know, it takes a little bit longer to spool up with a gas motor. It was a little bit heavier airplane, all that kind of thing. Well, I go to the 64 inch MXS with an electric motor and it was instant. So I found myself really, really jumpy. I mean, like I would blip, if I blipped the throttle, it was bouncing. I mean, it was as soon as you moved the stick, the plane moved a foot. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta slow down here. This right. don't work. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is bad. Man, I noticed that a lot, like on that OMP edge that I've got, which I'm just now getting to where I'm comfortable doing stuff a little bit lower and really trying to get into some of this 3D stuff. And man, those servos are so dang fast. That engine spools up so quick. I'm, I'm behind everything on it and I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm behind it. You know, I'm yeah. sitting here trying to figure out ways. Maybe if I slow these servos down, it'll smooth out a little bit because I'm no spring chicken. I'm not, uh, you know, my, my reaction times are probably not as good as they used to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you want to play around with maybe a little bit more expo or something. I don't really know. Some expotential. Expotential. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> you just need a bigger airplane. You know? <laughs> bigger flies better. Yeah. Clint's not wrong in that regard. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. Actually, I, when I was still, still kind of working my way up and, you know, around here, there just isn't that many people that fly large planes and, I, I went to an event and started hanging around with some guys. They all flew 40 percenters. And I was like, holy crap, you know, I'm never going to have a plane that big. <laughs> and then I went to one of the events and one of them was selling it, selling a plane. And so I bought an old wild hair edge, or no, it was an uh, extra 330, uh, 150 cc, bought it, ready to fly. So I brought it home, cleaned it up. And I, I was first, I was intimidated and by the, you know, second or third time I had it out, I was doing stuff I could never do with all my other planes. And it wasn't because the plane was more capable. It was just because it was slow enough that my brain and thumb synced up a little better. You know, and I, I was able, it was like flying the simulator a little bit more, only it didn't exist then. Yeah. Well, you, know, you could, you just instantly felt more comfortable. That's the 60 inch airplanes for me. Um, when I first got my 64, I was flying a straight receiver and I, I wasn't ready. I, I'm not sure I'm ready now. I definitely wasn't ready then. <laughs> not ready. <laughs> yeah. No. And, uh, as a last ditch effort to like that airplane, I had, a. this was back when I was really new to auras and flex products and stuff like that. And, uh, I had wiped out a Mamba 10 and, uh, it was done for, and everybody told me, like, oh, you can take the aura, you can put it into anything. So kind of as a last-ditch effort to make me like this 64-inch plane, I said, well, I'm going to put an aura in it and see how it goes. If either one of two things will happen, I'll really like it and I'll keep it, or I won't like it and it's going to the swap meet and, you know, you know no, no more aura playing around or whatever. That was kind of my thought process. And it made it fly like a big airplane. And or that's what it felt like to me. It felt like a bigger plane. And I, I liked it so much that 
Only reason I don't have it anymore is I crashed it. And then I quickly replaced it with another one because I loved right. it that much. I mean, it was that that was the thing and that's what everybody says about those it makes them fly like bigger planes but uh i have to agree i mean um i i've never thought i would have a 60 inch plane i mean like i said i not too long ago i didn't even want a 70 cc plane because it was too small and now i've kind of worked my way backwards i don't use aura or gyro or anything in like a 50 or 70 cc but in them small planes, man, it just completely changes them. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I'm 47, but it doesn't, even if I was 16, I would probably still put it in there because it makes it fly so much better. Yeah. Well, it just flies like oh. what you want it to fly like. And cheating or not, if it flies the way you want it to fly and you're having fun, what does it matter? Oh, absolutely. I, I was just out uh, yesterday. I went down to a field and there's a older guy there. He's probably 80 years old and he's like, oh. Uh, can't don't get out that much and i said hey at least you're out here just come out and have fun and you know he's out there flying his timber i said man just get out here and have fun it'll you know that's all that matters it doesn't matter if it's got a gyro or not you're not here to impress anybody just come out and make it fun for you and i think that's most important for anybody so casey's got a pretty good gyro story he he fooled a guy that was hardcore anti-gyro oh yeah this is a good story you gotta hear this one yeah, if you hadn't already heard it, it's it's good. Well, it, it's a it, it's an older guy that's been flying for a long time. He's he's a uh, old school pattern flyer. And he's a decent pilot, you know. And uh, we had gotten into a you know a conversation about gyros and things like that because man, the aura has changed a lot of things on how I fly and everything. You know, I, I'm not saying it's the best thing since sliced bread, but it gives me confidence and it feels good and I like it. Well, and you fly, you're putting it in smaller planes, yeah, like smaller what we're planes. talking about. Yep, and. Uh, I picked up an older pattern plane and just kind of threw the aura in there just to see what was going on. And man, it flew fantastic. And we were out at the field one day and I was like, you know what? You ought to fly this thing, you know? And he goes, yeah, it looks real good. It looks real good. And he flew it and he goes, how's it snap? And oh, wow, this thing's on rails. It's perfect. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, it, and he keeps flying it and, you know, battery's out. And he's like, man, can I land it? I'm like, absolutely. Man brings it in, smoothest land. He's like, man, that's probably one of the smoothest landings I've had in a while. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it flies good. And I was like, do you know it had a uh, gyro in it? He goes, no way that's got a gyro in it. I'm like, yep, <laughs> yep, definitely has a gyro in it, you know. But I think he was used to the older school kind of stuff where you could actually feel it where it kind of fought you. Yeah. And, and oh, on, yeah, on absolutely. Or it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Actually, I just have a, I just had a, a 60 inch plane I flew the other day and I, I took out and I guess I have nothing against the spectrum stuff and I'm not changing all of my stuff. I'm just changing some of my, my giant scale stuff, but I did change the 60 inch plane to the, to the flight, the, uh, FT5 mm-hmm. yep. Aura. And I, so I'm just running a, a regular JR receiver with, uh, with the FT5. And I was running the the new AS3X uh, AR637T, which is a super receiver. Um, there, you know, you can set it up from your transmitter and all that kind of stuff, and it, and it worked great. I've been flying it for two years, <clears throat> but switching to the Ara, it did feel significantly more natural. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I could do is I can go up and do point rolls and snaps, and it wouldn't you didn't have that balance at the end. So is that in your sixty inch? Uh laser 230 that you had in this uh, house just that one i left alone just because it's so good <laughs> right now that thing is just 
crazy. I'm Dude, waiting I've for it to explode seen, itself in here. I don't but, think I've ever seen a I plane perform it. like that one does. It blew me away. You missed out, Casey. Yeah, I know. So you've seen our 60-inch planes, like the climb performance on those? Yeah. No, this thing, like, mine's in, like, second gear. This is in, like, fifth gear. Yeah, it's ripping. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, it would run off and leave any of my 60-inch airplanes. And yeah, that's that, that Scorpion motor is just, and I'm just running, uh, I believe, it's the, oh, yeah, that one I'm running, the uh, the Spectrum Smart Receiver. Well, it's the, the Scorpion Avian motor. 100, it's just incredible. It? On the uh, ESC? <clears throat> right. Yeah. I think that's what we determined was difference between it. Cause I've run the same Scorpion motor in my PAU that I sold to, uh, Corey, Corey. Yeah. Um, but it had a Talon 90 in it, uh, castle Talon 90. And I think that's what we decided was, I mean, that was really the only major difference was the, you were running the avian 100 and, uh, I tried to get the, the motor timing and the firmware and all that. I, I, I went through a few different changes I never got it to perform quite like that, though. Yeah. But, no, I put this on the, on the AJ 60-inch slick okay. uh, just because I wanted to try it out. And uh, I had some friends of mine that were putting them on the, um, oh, crap, what is it, the Twisted Hobbies. The, they're, they're like, like 43-inch foamies, some big ones. They were putting them on those. And... Um, uh, is it did we lose him Velo- oh velocity it was oh. the velocity <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and they were telling me man it just completely changed it because they were flying it with just a receiver and they said it makes it fly like a real airplane so i'm like <laughs> all right yeah. well, what's it do to a you know maybe it makes a real airplane fly even better than so yeah yeah, yeah. no i'm impressed with that setup absolutely <clears throat> absolutely yeah so with the with that being said, did you have any kind of, I don't, I, I don't know, got to get back to this Z200 a little bit yeah. more. Did you have any mishaps or anything happen unexpectedly or how many flights no. did you get that kind of stuff today? Um, <laughs> I got a few flights in today. Most of it was just kind of trimming and mixing and that kind of stuff. There's very little mixing to it. Um, but I am currently in the process of drilling my cowl and taking that exhaust off and putting the stock mufflers back on. I wondered I about lost, that. I just that lost gonna... too many RPM. Yeah. It it sounded a little funny in the video, but I don't put a lot of stock in <clears throat> video. They, it, quality. Yeah, it doesn't always sound right. Engines especially, you know. But uh, Yeah. Plus, it, I was running it in an industrial park in between two steel buildings. So that <laughs> right. does help. <laughs> yeah. But. It, it just... In the video, I was like, "That's got a really unique sound," but I wasn't. I was wondering how that was going to perform. Yeah, in person, it sounded amazing. I mean, it sound it was more throaty than a canister, and it was quieter than a muffler. And um, but it was like as I sped up, I just lost more and more power. And I actually, from the field, I messaged uh, Joe Lewis, and he said, "You know, I kind of thought that might happen because." The since the f- pistons are firing at the same time, they're competing for back pressure in that small amount of volume in that canister. So they're probably as it gained RPM, it was probably just you know beating itself up. I so because I I could see when I I mean I got three flights on it, it is all because I had some other planes to fly, 
And, um, but the bottom of the plane was caked with oil. And I know that I'm not rich. I mean, I, I tried tuning it and whether I richened it or leaned it, I just kept losing RPM. So I was tuned as perfect as it, it could get. Mm-hmm. And it was just not, not happy. So I'm going to talk to the, to the Nestor guy because it's a super cool design. And, uh, yeah, it looks badass. And it sounds cool and you don't have to cut your cowl all up. And yeah. So I think if we can fine tune it. So we'll see. Might, might return someday. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm always kind of questionable on canisters and, tune pipes and all that stuff. I personally, I've always just run stock mufflers myself other than on my Skywing, um, which that engine was previously on a PAU. I've got the JTEC mufflers on the DA 70. And, uh, you said something there that just kind of was made me more curious. You said something about the oil on it and I've always had an, uh, it was just always seemed really sloppy on that particular engine, which both my seventies, uh, tuned well seemed like they're just slop oil everywhere uh, but it makes me wonder if maybe the exhaust might be causing me a little bit of issue with that 70 because the one on my mamba it just runs great but that one on that laser has quit on me like four times mm-hmm. That's on the canister. and uh, you're talking about the da70 yeah both of them's da70s the mamba's got stock uh, slim lines on it uh, right and then the uh I guess slim lines are stock mufflers. I always thought they were at least. And then the um, the laser has the JTEX. Uh, sure. With, with and I've run, I run both. Um, JTEC makes a set, and Slimline makes their stock mufflers that, that they sell. Yeah. And then there's uh, another set by JNA. The JNA ones are a little bit higher performing. They've got a little bigger can, can on them and a little bigger down pipe. Okay. But I've run the JTEX as well. But the DA70 is just, it like, it makes oil from thin air. It, it, it pukes out more oil than any other engine ever produced, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to take a break for a little bit and we'll be back here in a few. I thought I was going to get away with not having to do that again this week. Ow. Damn it. Ow. Yep. Full edit in the house. I'm back to 20 minute edit or, or two hour edits instead of 20 minute edits. Thanks, Clay. Yeah. Sorry. Anyways, we're back. Yeah. We're back with Terry Wiles. Yeah. Clay Ray. Awesome. Actually, the, this uh, break was perfectly timed because I got some messages from the. Nesterwitz, whatever his name is, over in Poland that did that custom exhaust we were talking about earlier. Awesome. And he's going to completely redesign it. And he's got some ideas, kind of combining his ideas and uh, what we talked about, what I talked about earlier with uh, Joe Lewis's ideas. So sounds like he might come up with something cool. So awesome. stand by for round two of that sometime. Right. Well, well, I couldn't think of anybody better to do some R&D with than, than you and probably Joe Lewis. So. Yeah. That, guy, yeah, that guy's got some good genius. guys in his corner. I mean, he, yeah. <laughs> well, when we were on break, I looked. Uh, you had posted a picture up of the uh, the Z two hundred, and one of the features that I admire and 
would be appreciative of when building one is the molded in low pressure lip on the cowling. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that Casey, is your phone beeping? No, I don't know. No. Anyway, that's one of the things that my PAU had that I really appreciated and liked, you know, it just, it's just one of those things that's done for you. You cut the cowl out and, and you're good to go. And also, you know, a lot of the times I second guess myself on, is this enough air exit versus not, you know, and with that being molded that way, it's, it's a pretty good indication like, well, this is how much it needs. So I'm right, good. Right. Yeah. I get that question a lot. You know, and then you still see the old school, oh, it's got to be three to one. Well, and I always tell people it, it doesn't, it's not about having more exit. It's about having good exit. You know, you can have a whole ton of good, of really crappy exit and still have a hot engine. So it's, it's more about getting airflow that's, that's easy to get out. You know, it doesn't have to go around things and it doesn't have to go, you know, you can't have all of your exit in the tunnel because it still has to go around everything and get into that tunnel and then out. So it works better to have unrestricted good air exit. Right. Absolutely. I, yeah. And I really like the, uh, the crafters foam baffle that you did, that you did on, on there, man. That was, that was pretty ingenious. Yeah. yeah I know we do offer the 3D printed stuff and I, and that's really cool. Um, I just wanted to show, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of planes don't offer, you know, there's a lot of planes out there that you just can't get 3D printed baffles for. And so I wanted to show that. Well, and, what Carrie discovered with that MXS was not all 3D printed baffles were created, created equally. Uh, he's on his second set, uh, just because the first set wasn't really that great. Uh, the second, you know, they're, they're pre, they're made nice, you know, and, and they fit properly and all that. But so just because, you know, one guy makes them didn't necessarily mean that they're the greatest thing out there either. I'm sure the ones that AJ sells are great, but you know, everybody can get some craft foam and, throw something together yeah that's a, that's a pretty ingenious idea yeah super yeah, light correct. too yeah you know doesn't add a ton of weight real easy and then yeah. with the electric the, one I, thing that helps hold the 3d printed ones together is if you take some like goop or silicone and just put a put a big blob on your finger and put it around the out it'd be the outside of the baffle the part you don't see once it's installed just put a thin coat of silicone on there and that kind of helps keep those those layers from separating during heat cycles and mm-hmm. stuff. And so that's one thing that helps them be a little more durable. But Well, Casey plays around with a 3D printer a little bit. What what kind of material would you use for something like that, Casey? Like I think you'd PLA? probably want to use I think you'd probably want to use ABS. It, it does a little bit better as far as heat and things like that than than like your PLA that most of these printers are printing on. I got you. Which ABS is a little bit more of a trick to print than, than PLA that I've found out so far, but I don't have an enclosed printer. So ABS uh, has a shrink ratio, shrink factor to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it likes to peel up off the bed. So, you know, as, as the temperature changes, you know, because it's going up and you can't, if it's not an enclosed deal, you can't keep the temperature right. So if you've got any kind of draft in your house or, mm. you know, any temperature changes, it, it, it alters the print. Pretty much, which I'm not a 3D printing pro. It's just what I've seen so far with trying it myself. Well, you know more than I do. (laughs) That's one thing I've never dabbled in. I said once they get really good where you can't see the layers, then maybe I'll look at one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you've got the CNC router and laser. That's what you primarily deal with, right? Yep. Yep. That's actually what we do for a living is we uh, we cut cabinet parts out of the CNCs and stuff and do sub-assemblies and that sort of thing. But... 
And I do a little bit of lasering with uh, lasered cups and things, mostly for businesses and events and that kind of thing. Well, man, I'm thinking that you could probably get a hold of a 3D printer and probably get the results you want after playing with it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It would probably be fun. It's one of those things. To me, it's like almost another hobby. Oh, it, it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely another hobby. And then you got to learn 3D design and all kinds of stuff. It's mm-hmm. It just grows and grows and right. grows. Let's see, I'm... Yeah. I, I'm pretty well, I'm solid on 3D printing. You know, uh, William Morgan asked me to be on his team recently, so I've got, you know, I'm, I'm representing his 3D printed parts and uh, got access to all of that, you know, and then Casey's got a printer. Jason Hill, another cl- close friend of ours, he's got a printer. Renee's got, I think, three. So I'm right. like, <laughs> yeah. it's not in my interest to buy a 3D printer. Because I've got friends for that. Right. It's right. kind of like buying a boat. <laughs> yeah. You know? Why buy a boat when you have friends that have one? Hey, yeah. that's kind of how I feel about chargers and trailers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I'm leaning towards the, the CNC router, uh, personally. And, and I've got, you know, Terry, uh, I would consider Terry a friend of mine, you know, and he's got one. Uh, Jason Donhockel's got a couple of, as well. And so, and I've got a couple other friends out there that's got them, but they're all further away. You know, it's like San Antonio's what eight hours, and then I think it's like sixteen hours to Terry. You know, and it's like, man, I really would. I'd love to have one to play with because oh, yeah. I just I sit back and think about all the things I can make with a CNC router. And uh, the only reason I haven't got one is what I really want. It's going to be like the price of a. Good used car. Right. right. And I'm like, huh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly it. I mean, there's, I'm actually looking to probably get one just to have at my house. Um, just cause there's things that I'd love to do on a CNC that I can't just because, uh, both of the CNCs I have now we make a living on. So, um, I'd love to do some 3D carving and some, some work with foam and stuff like making plugs for, uh, like, jets or cowls or whatever you know carve out the basic plug but i can't be cutting foam and creating static on a eighty thousand dollar machine that i need to make a living on you know i'd rather do that in my garage with something that i'm not i don't have to worry about working tomorrow oh yeah you guys gave me a pretty good idea i think i'm gonna put a personal ad on like craigslist or something like that seeking companionship must own a uh, cnc router you know (laughs) we'll see and he just blew my mind with Eighty thousand. Oh yeah, man. Oh, that's wow. an inexpensive router. That that that's machine's a, see, uh, almost fifteen years old. Now is <laughs> the one I was looking at. Uh, the one that actually really got drew my attention first was the X Carve, and uh, I did a little bit more looking into it, and then I thought, well, maybe the Shapeoko three is the way I would rather go, and and then I've, I've been kind of led to some other ones, and then there's a YouTube channel I follow because Casey and I have talked about this. We we have all sorts of interest and one of the interests i have is with uh woodworking and there's a woodworking guy uh his name is uh, jay bates and he is out of mississippi i follow him on youtube and he has a i think it's axion and i looked at those they're about 15 grand and so that's what i was looking at uh yeah once you get into that you know 12 to 15 16 thousand then you start to get uh an actual spindle versus a router. 
Yes. And uh, liquid cooled versus air cooled and all that kind of stuff. You just you can really step up in in that price range of what you get. Plus platform. I mean, it's kind of like lasers. They get they're mm-hmm. incrementally expensive, more expensive for how much power they have and working area. Well, I was really interested in the X car price at you know eighteen hundred bucks, <laughs> and and then I started hearing fifteen grand to get something that was like actually pretty decent. And I'm thinking, uh, I think I'm out on this deal because uh, I'm not making a living at it. You know, if I was making a living at it, it's a little bit different scenario. But, uh, man, I got an idea. I'll take my 3D printer, man, and we'll get a DeWalt, right? And we'll make some robot arms. It's going to be cool, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, actually, I might, I, my first CNC was, uh, was a shop bot, which is basically a buy it in a kit and put it together. It was a four by eight table. It was not small, but it used uh, a three horsepower Porter cable router and, you know, run out like crazy and you go, well, you go through bearings every, six months but i made a living on that for almost three years before we moved and bought real equipment so right if you get the right one they're not under capable yeah so that i always had the suspicion that you must have a big machine when uh so i have one of your stands i've had it now for i don't know three years i think maybe at least two i've had it for a long time and i love it you know and I, I'm not gonna lie. I was really sad when you were not no, no, or sorry, no longer able to make them. Uh, I know his material I'm, I'm and stuff like to, that. I'm hoping to, and I'm actually I really love to. Right now, it's just the what I'm up against. I was going to do it again again this year, but um, the cost of plywood, as everybody everybody that's involved with business knows, with, with home and home or construction of any type, the price of that particular plywood is up. 250 percent that's so literally apply a sheet of plywood costs almost what i was selling stands for yeah (laughs) because it's pre-finished and everything else oh it's excellent i mean uh last night you know i'm working on it what i like about it is working on big airplanes uh sitting on a desk or a table or whatever I'm, I'm having to stretch to, to look over in the airplane or whatever but with that stand i'm able to get right up next to it uh, it's, you know, at a comfortable standing height for me or a bar stool height, uh, both, you know, it, it just works really well. And, uh, I hardly do anything to, a anything I'd say 30 CC and up, uh, even though the one I've got is designed for the 35%, I've mm-hmm. got several dowel rods that fit different size airplanes and I'll throw them up there and work on them. Yeah. yeah it just works out really well. Yeah. No, really, really handy. Uh, I just used mine while we were on break here and finished cutting my cowl on my my laser. So yeah, <laughs> I'm well, I'm still going to make them at some point. Um, I just need to get another material or something. Plus, I need some time right now with the housing market the way it is. We just it's, everything is so crazy. Yeah, are they building a lot of houses? I got a friend down in Louisiana that's just swamped building houses. He said business is good for him right now. So. The company that we do most of our work for right now for the last six, five out of the last six weeks has gotten work in at the rate of double what they can produce in a week. Wow. So their normal lead time is four to five weeks right now. They're 10 weeks just because more work's coming in. That's, so that's it's, awesome. It's insanity. I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's finally starting to pick up again. Yeah. The problem yeah. is it's going to drop at some point. And so everybody's like just raking in the money while they can. Yeah. Get <laughs> while the getting's good. So is the area you're at, is it one of the big oil field areas that we always hear about? I, I don't ever keep that much track of it, but I know it seems like that's where the Keystone line was coming through kind of near you guys, wasn't I'm it? On, that's on the other end of the state that was coming, oh. and uh, the oil stuff is up in North Dakota. Okay, gotcha. Um, so that's, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota. It wouldn't seem like it, but that's probably nine hours from me. Holy cow. Pretty decent-sized states. I mean, South Dakota is about the size of Oklahoma. Pretty close. Yeah. So. Heck, you can cross, I think from the farthest point, it may be nine hours from like Panhandle to like southeast Oklahoma. Yeah. If you went across yeah. at an angle, maybe. I don't know. We're down here in the south. We don't know anything about what's going on up north. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. Just block that out. No, no, it's not intentional. It's just we're in a bubble down here, man. Yeah. Yeah. We know. No, our- we're we're in uh, just big farming land here, but but uh, the stuff that I do for work goes nationwide. So nice. That's good to hear that at least you guys are busy up there. Uh, I think it's kind of leveled off here, wouldn't you think, Kirk? No, it's definitely picking back up as far as construction and all that goes. There, we're getting busy again. Last year was pretty much a slump for most of the year, so but yeah, things are definitely picking back up after the first of this year. So it's funny that you know to bring this back to RC. I think it was a pretty good year last year for RC. I I noticed a pretty good uptick in it all of last year, I think, because everybody was stuck at home. They needed something to play with, so everybody pulled out an old kit or something they had or playing or decided, hey, this is a good time to get into it. And I've noticed a pretty good uptick last year. Well, and then even flying out at Baxter, man, it was a good year to go flying up there because it was – I mean, heck, it was... We would have 30, 40 people out there any day. Yeah, on a, any given Sunday, yeah. It's de- Man, our club has definitely seen a, a big swing in in uh, participation, for sure. So, and that's... I find it funny that the year 2020 was, uh, all the manufacturers that are willing to tell me a little bit of things, and they're like, man, we've had a great year. You know, the only problem we have is getting enough stuff to sell getting product in yeah i mean they're like as far as sales go sales are great you know it's we're having supply problems um so that's been good you know and then it's just crazy how some things suffered but then some things did really well yeah it's interesting i mean i know just talking to uh tim tim up in northwest rc and then talking with chris down at uh down at the uh, Apache Pass event, everybody was just having stellar, you know, stellar year or more. I mean, back, even back in 2019, I think the RC, especially the giant scale, has just been out of control, sort of. I mean, as fast as containers come in, it seems like they're mostly sold. Oh, yeah. Everything's going by pre-sale now. Yeah. Yeah. And and I find it ironic, uh, you say giant scale, right? You know, giant scale... I feel like Giant Skill is making at least, I would say, at least somewhat of a comeback, or there's a growing interest in Giant Skill again. And uh, I, I think it uh, might I, be. I mean, there's a, the the hobby as as a whole is is growing. I mean, AMA membership is up, and and all that stuff, which is good. Um, you know, obviously, the government stuff with AMA and and flying in general is 
kind of been up in the air, so people got kind of wishy-washy, and now that's kind of started to look a little bit more in our favor, and I think people are getting a little less skittish about going and dropping some money on, on getting a good plane. Yeah. Well, I, I, where I was kind of going with that, and I don't know if we want to name drop it, but I know you and I have talked about this, that there's a company out there that, that says that Giant Scale's dead, and they're not really too too interested in taking care of Giant Scale guys. And honestly, at the end of the day, I think they're going to see a portion of the market that's going to leave them because yeah. of it. Foam is not the future. No. I, I really yeah. – I think foam is it's concreted a, in the future. It's, it's a gateway it's drug. Yeah, I, I think foam has its place, but at the end of the day, I think you're right, Kirk. I think the, you know, I, I know I'm one of them, and I think Casey's one that, you know, I started out flying primarily foamies, and now I primarily fly big wood planes. Yeah, and same here. When I first got back into the hobby, I had a Fly Zone Beaver, a little foam beer cooler beaver airplane. Yeah, that didn't last for very long. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then I got a real balsa airplane, you know, monocoat, balsa, and nitro, and I learned how to fly an airplane after that. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I think it gives it another level of giving yourself pride of actually owning something. I mean, the foam never really seems like it's worth much, but, you know, I, I appreciate that the, you know, what the foam does, it gets people in. Uh, and some people, that's all they want. I mean, a lot of people are so busy nowadays that they, they just don't have the time or the space or anything to fly anything bigger. So, Terry, right. uh, kind of steer this a little bit different here. Uh, tell us how you got started in the hobby, how you got started in RC, RC airplanes. Uh, honestly, I kind of I had friends when I was a kid and had planes, and there's just no way I was going to do that. I was into cars, and I'm, I'm still a closet car junkie. I just don't own any anymore because, for me, cars were kind of like airplanes. I can't just have one. And so, the <laughs> so you mean like hot rods, like real cars or RC cars? Real cars. Okay. Had, had to clarify. <laughs> so I kind of kind of got out of that. When we started our business and got, got really busy, I mean, we've been – doing what we're doing now for for bit for work for a little over 20 years now and just knew that there wasn't going to be any time so i got rid of the cars and all we did was literally work every day all day i mean weekends 16 hours a day for you know until the 20 2008 real estate debacle and then uh you know, but before then, I, I was working so much i was like i need something else to get my mind off of work just on the weekends and I thought, you know, I got no money now. I'm going to go buy an RC airplane. So I went down. And the, my first plane was a came with a transmitter. It was a foam three channel cub with a nickel metal hydride battery, mm-hmm. and I flew the wings off that thing. And because <laughs> I lived across the street from a from a driving range, so I'd charge all my batteries and go out and fly all my packs dead before I went to work. Then I'd come home and I'd fly all my packs dead again. And then I started graduating into you know, back then it was all everything was glow yet so worked my way up through glow and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, up to the last few years, I don't think about work nearly as much anymore. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Well, I, I would say you've come a long way in that amount of time. I mean, heck you've got quite a few, uh, quite a few designs under your belt that are incredible. You know, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You know, what, uh, that first radio, what was your first radio? 
Oh, that one was just a three-channel with a slider throttle and one stick. I forget what it was. I think that actually was the first, like, ready-to-fly-out-of-the-box. It was a... Was that a sky scooter, maybe? No. Or a space scooter? No, it was some kind of a Cub. I think Tower Hobbies sold it. Oh, that's right. You did say Cub. So the reason I say is one of my first experiences flying... Would have been around that same time period. Uh, you super, said around. Super, it was called uh, it a Super Cub, I think, but it was a little foam, yeah. Yeah. I, a friend of mine, this would have been about 2004, had a plane called a Space Scooter. It was a foamy, uh, three channel, like you said, uh, single stick radio with a slider for the throttle. Uh, flew on NICADs and uh, maybe nickel metals, one of the two. It definitely wasn't LiPo. Uh, but man, we had a ton of fun with that thing. You know, just that was about the same time, yeah, 2003, 2004. That's yeah. it. That's awesome. Well, well um, since since then, I, I guess I'll tell everybody that asked me how long you've been flying and everything else. And so since then, I, it's been so much fun to, to meet people and get around the country. And we're a little bit privileged that I'm able to take weekends and go to some of these events that a lot of people can't get to. And there's, we meet so many people across the country. My wife does airplane photography and that kind of stuff, so we just had a great time. That, that sounds like Casey. Casey does airplane photography as well. Well, just photography in general. I like taking pictures of everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of my favorite pictures are some that Casey's done for me, and, uh, man, they're awesome. Awesome. Uh, you, uh, how did you get into designing them, though? Is that just something that – you thought, I've hey, kind of you know, always I... been a designer. I mean, I've I've been using AutoCAD since I was in high school, and then I went to went to school for engineering, and you know, always was involved in designing and project management um, of, at different companies and things. And then I decided I just wanted to try to work for myself, and because uh, for the for the great greater part of things, when you're doing mechanical engineering at a company, projects move so slow i mean it's insane it's insane because you have to document every nut and bolt and everything else and when you do stuff by yourself in your garage i mean it's like you can draw something and start cutting and you can see how things go and it's just so much more exciting (laughs) obviously it doesn't pay as good in your garage but yeah well you've made it work for you though yeah yeah we were able to turn luckily turn you know turn a lot of it into a business you know but um as far as the airplanes, I don't accept any money from, from any company that I design stuff for. Cause to me, that takes away from it. I just would rather get the design out there and have people enjoy it. Well, yeah, there's some sense of accomplishment seeing something that you designed going into the hands of a lot of different people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, you, we mentioned it a little bit ago, but what all designs are yours actually? I know the PAU Viper and then the Z200 with the, primary topic of this discussion uh, those are any- the main that are completely an airplane there's you know there's a couple more in the books now that i'm going to be working with aj on um but other than that i just it's, it's kind of been fun helping uh you know have an aj call and andrew call me up and ask me about different things i mean it's kind of humbling i mean i remember when i was first learning to fly and watching videos uh Andrew Jeske doing video, you know, doing competitions and things, thinking, man, it'd be cool to meet somebody like that someday. And now he's calling, texting me and asking me what I think about a rudder size or something. And it's pretty awesome. So 
Yeah. But we worked together a little bit on the, on the Raven, on the new Raven. And, um, I was able to sort of not redesign this. It is a complete redesign, but more of bring, bring the wing design that AJ is going to be offering on all the planes up to more of a modern structure. Their wing is kind of outdated. And, um, so the new wings would be a lot stronger. We added some more carbon and some more boxing and basically redesigned the structure of that. So I'm so, kind of happy that that's going to take, that's going to be in there. So can you kind of talk about how, how does AJ's team work? I mean, I know Andrew's kind of a designer, so to speak, and I guess Tim kind of runs it all. Is that basically it? And cause right. Andrew, and, uh, he lives out uh, in Utah or somewhere. He's not even close to Tim, I don't think, is he? Right. And Andrew is all over. He's got a house in Louisiana, I think, and he's in Utah and you know, he he works for the for the government. So um so yeah, he but he, I think he also spends a lot of his time is designing pattern planes. Now I can't name drop the the names cuz I don't know offhand what all brands that he designs for pattern planes, but that's his true, true love, you know, so, yeah, so he's doing that. And then, um, you know, he obviously he's involved in all the design at, at AJ aircraft, you know, it's, you know, I don't get to do anything without kind of running to buy him. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. But, I, as I tell you what <laughs> it, it gets to me is Andrew and me are like a few months apart in age. And this dude is like world renowned flying on like this aggravates the hell out of me <laughs> you know, I was like I, I should be doing that you know like I feel like I yeah. should be me but that guy's he's something else you know but, yeah actually uh Andrew's brother Joe is also involved in the company he's quite far removed I mean he's not on Facebook he's not on anything but Joe is, is uh he works at one of the nuclear plants out there in Michigan but he's uh really good at designing and, and engineering he's uh, very intelligent. So I've gotten to know him after the last couple of years, uh, going out to the Toledo Expo and that kind of stuff. And right, uh, really just great people. Right. Uh, to shift gears to your other team, how did you get involved with Team High Tech? I know that uh, I know you you really promote high tech servos and have definitely got me re interested in high tech. Uh, how did you pick that up, and how did you become associated with those guys? Um, well, it's kind of, I, I, I wasn't really on any, I never really search out to be on a team of anything. I just kind of like supporting people that do a good job. And that's kind of how it started with high tech because I, I'm not going to name names, but I went through the, through the name, through the, I mean, servos is a, is a pretty good, pretty big topic because some are good, some are bad and that kind of thing. And I, so I, I, uh, ended up on a, on a team for a different company. And then I started having some, some pretty drastic issues. And, uh, so I started to change and try to just dabble in some different stuff and found that, found that high tech was doing really good. I mean, I, I, a lot of people, you know, at least people that are my age that flew glow planes, I mean, high tech was the main servo out there. And, um, but now they're just, they have more high end stuff. And so I started dabbling with their high end stuff and, Obviously, I'm friends with Tanner Curtis. He was working at High Tech at the time, and we just got to talking. They were at, looking for some more people on the team, and so kind of got joined up there. But 
but I really enjoy the programmability and the smoothness and all that kind of stuff. They just have been working really good for me. Right. Right. And, and I believe one of the other changes that they've made with the D series is they've gone to a uh, 25 spline output gear, haven't they? Absolutely. To yeah, kind of match it with everyone more. else. Um, it just seems like the high, having your own bastard child gear spline is kind of tough because then you can only get so many, you know, only get servo arms from certain people and that kind of thing. Now you've got the world is your oyster for kind of finding I, I would, know, servo arms and that, center, that sort of stuff. So. I would definitely agree. I mean, having a 25 spline definitely makes it easier because, uh, like you said, just so many companies make arms. If you want to buy, uh, just as, as an example, I've got the Flex Mamba 120, and uh, there are servo arms that come with, if you combo them, uh, the Flex arms are 25 spine. They don't make a 24 oh, nice. or a 23. So if you want to use those, you're, you know, you got to use a 25 spline servo, obviously. And I just always thought, you know, the, the last high techs I've run were the 7950s, uh, 7955s, and so on. And I believe those were. 23 or they were 24. Okay. Kirk's, Kirk's telling me yeah, they're 24. Yep. yep. I 24, always get them. JR and, is 23. Yeah. I always got yeah, those two mixed yeah, up. JR is 23. Um, yeah. But I just always like, man, that's just so aggravating that I had to order like, well, these arms, I've got a full set of arms, but <laughs> they work on these and then I need a set for these. And it, it was just always something. And so I think that was a, a good move on high tech's part, you know, to, to get, I just, Universal. I just went through a deal where I've got I have a drawer full of high tech servo arms, and I ended up putting some JR servos in a plane I'm working on, and I didn't have a single JR servo arm in this whole. They were all high tech or Futaba, so yeah. I actually had to order some servo arms when I've got a drawer full of high techs and Futabas. Yeah, yeah. Just because yeah. they got to be different. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that JR isn't changing i'm i'm not kept were older up with that jr yeah. servos 87 11s i think yeah I, i'm not real sure if the new like i think they're up to like 89 11s 89 12s now something uh, like that but uh i know the not new sure. jr stuff is really impressive yes um, they've got some 12 volt stuff out now yeah they do uh, i haven't gotten a chance to try any yet but i'm i'm impressed with what i've seen on people flying and, and that kind of stuff and what I've heard from friends. Yeah, I I was fortunate to get to check out a, quite a bit of stuff at uh at the Sad three D festival out in Tucson and JR was oh, yeah, one of the had Kim and uh Santiago were there and yeah. Yeah. Talk about uh some impressive guys to watch. You know, earlier we were talking about Jace and uh I think he's easily got the uh the name recognition. But uh man at the Sad three D festival there was Kim Quinette Santiago, uh, and Spencer Norquest. And those guys, in my opinion, are just as impressive. Yeah, I think, uh, just, I mean, I was, when I was with PAU, um, it was one of the first years that Spencer was flying at, uh, uh what was it? Uh, XFC, maybe? XFC, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, just a quiet kid and actually spent more time talking to his dad. He was there and we were wrenching on his plane and stuff. And, but man, that kid could fly. And then every year he brought new stuff to the table, new creative maneuvers. And I, I still say anybody asks me, who is your favorite pilot? Spencer Nordquist. Yeah. He's, 
hands down, my my opinion, the best pilot in the world that I've seen. Well, w- one of the things I appreciate from him is I've seen him fly jets, helis, foamies, giant scale gas planes, and he does them all very, very well. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that was crazy that year at XFC. He would he would do his routine with the airplane. Literally just leave it at the flight line, fire up a helicopter, and go fly his helicopter around. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like, oh, my God. Uh, he, <laughs> there at the end, I'm not going to say what we said because I'm not. it's not one of those things that's uh, quite publicly okay. Oh, I yeah. guess is the only way I can put it out there. But I'll just say he's a fun guy. Uh, Spencer's, yeah. he's a fun guy because uh, Chris Barton uh, – Mike Sterling's actually one that noticed this, and I'll, I'll have to tell you about this off air, Terry. It, it was really funny, but uh, let's just say Spencer's got a good sense of humor, yeah, and he plays right along. So, uh, but uh, yeah, we had a good time with him out there on Sunday. Uh, everybody, the, you know, Sunday's typical. The events are winding down, and you know, there's only just a handful of people left, and so there was a few of us still there, and we got to picking at old Spencer, and he had a He's he's a good sport and he's got a good sense of humor, so we had a good time. But uh, awesome. No, we uh, it was definitely good. So, cool. Casey, what yeah, you... I can't wait to get uh, hopefully Joan all back next year, so we can. It's kind of a lot of people I haven't seen for two years now. Right. I'm gonna just have to quit saying I'm going when it fires back up because I've I've said I was going the last two years and I got shut down. So I'm just I'm not going when it opens back up. That way you guys can go have fun. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm screwing this up for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Casey! Hey, you know, the thing about Joe and all I, is uh, you can go and you likely won't fly anyway. It's better just to go and hang out. Honestly, yeah. I don't even like. I don't care for flying at Joe and all. It's just a little too busy and everything. I would. I love flying at the lake. The float float plan is awesome. Yeah, but that, I just like to go and hang out. I've been there ten times, and I bet you I've only flown two dozen flights at Joan All. I flew mostly on the electric 3D line. Uh, I found myself there flying the most. Only time I flew on the gas 3D line uh, was actually during the noontime demos because all the hotshot pilots were on the main line flying, oh, sure. doing their demos, <laughs> and it was really slow on the 3D line. So I was like, perfect. Now I can get out here and fly and and do something but if you want to feel like an amateur go to joe nall yep wait i feel like an amateur here yeah oh geez it's there's a lot of talent yeah it sounds like i'm taking a camera (laughs) and a cooler you have yeah uh, make sure you take lots of memory cards right there's a lot to see and uh just the the facility itself is it's indescribable nearly it's just one of those things you have to experience for yourself to really appreciate it and understand it. Yeah. Uh, Cause you can see all the pictures and all that, but you can't, you can't just fathom the sh- size of the facility. It's unreal. So yeah. I'm actually working on getting my golf cart rigged out for Joe Nall. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, I'm as excited about that as anything is working on my golf cart. Yeah. I'm going to have a cool golf cart. It's going to be awesome. Dude, there's a lot of golf carts and stuff there. Like, Dude, like Renee's Barstool Racer, yep. that would be perfect. You going to put some wings on your golf cart? I'm, going, I'm thinking about uh, – so another thing you guys can't see. I'm wearing my uh, eagle with a mullet T-shirt right now. It's it's pure America. Yeah. Exactly. America. Yeah. <laughs> In Sam's earlier, this guy looks at me and he says, hey, you got a picture of yourself on your shirt? 
And I, I thought about it for a second. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. The right response there. I've been like, hell yeah, man, I'm badass. That's what you should have said. So what yeah. I, I found a Ford Bronco uh, body kit for golf carts, right? Oh, oh man. So that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Terry gets it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or an 85 Camaro. Yeah. Either one of those would be great. But you got to like wear like 80s freaking tube socks with stripes on them. And dude, I'm already on it. Cut off I'm jeans and a it. wife beater, dude. It'd be perfect. Met, oh, he it does. It's normally. jorts. It's jorts. Yeah. It's jorts. <laughs> you know, rocking the mullet and the pit vipers. Oh, man. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of teams, all right, so Terry's talking about these teams. You know there's a team Pit Viper? Like, you can get sponsored by Pit Viper? How are you not on that team? Really? I haven't sent the email yet. Yeah, yeah, I haven't sent the email <laughs> yeah, yet. Hang on. I'm going to send it right now for you. Uh, no, it, it really is. I was looking on their website, and, and there's this, like, you can be sponsored by them. I was like, that's just, that's wild. I think they do a lot of cyclists and stuff like that. But. Dude, I know a farmer that's sponsored by them. Really? Yeah. Well, send the email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm no, no kidding at all. He's up uh, in like Iowa. It's this YouTube channel, uh, Cole the Corn Star. <laughs> oh my! God. I'm not. I can't make this up. The Corn Star. Cole nice. the Corn Star. He's like 20 years old farmer in Iowa, and he, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's sponsored he's by Pit got Viper. Like five million subscribers on YouTube. Dude, he's got a lot. Like yeah, a lot. <laughs> How? How do these people do that? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know why farming is as interesting as it is. You know what it is? I will give you the secret. They put out content consistently. Yeah. And they've got something that people like about it. Two things. That's all you need. Yeah. This show has proven that to me. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. It's We put out content. You yeah. build it, they will come. Well, I mean, to circle back, that's why I know who Terry is. Is I stumbled across one of his videos one day, and I was like, it was a throttle setup video, if I recall. And then I got to looking at servo setup and matching ailerons. And, man, I don't remember. Like, dude, he had a whole ton of videos oh, yeah. all on the uh, – it was on the Viper back mm-hmm. then, the PAU Viper. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did a bunch of those. Servo matching. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how uh, – I mean, I knew who you were for a wicked long time because I'm like, dude, these videos are way helpful. It made me understand stuff that – Right. In a way that no one could describe to me. So, um, it, it, the power of social media is something else to be, I mean, there's something about it. That's for oh, sure. definitely. And I'm lumping YouTube into that category. So, oh, yeah. It's definitely social media. Hey, speaking of that, are you going to, are you going to build anything? I mean, you're going to do some more YouTube work, Terry, or are you kind of done with that for the time being or what? Um, I don't know. I started just doing most of my like flying, flying videos and that sort of stuff. I just do on, on, uh, Facebook just cause it's easier to get out. And I mean, you can do it from your phone <laughs> and YouTube seems like it dumbs down videos so much and, and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> the how to videos, I'm trying to do as many of them as possible. You know, the ones that I think will be really popular, I try, I'm trying to do on YouTube just cause it's easier for, certain websites and things to share them um i mean there's some websites out there that block links from facebook videos or links to you know so they don't want to lose their people right so i the, the real good high how to's like the engine tuning one and the trimming and and mixing and that kind of stuff i did those on youtube but 
Yeah. I don't know. At, at a point, I kind of run out of things to, to do a video about, so I'm definitely open for suggestions. <laughs> right. Right. I, that's where that's where kind of with this podcast, I'm not going to lie. I think Casey and I have talked about this a little bit. It's like, and there's a lot of stuff we want to do, but when and how do we make it happen? And then sometimes like like some weeks it's nuts and bolts. It's entertaining and, and, uh, educational. Uh, ones I've listened to are really good. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, to be quite honest, I was worried about the entertaining part of it and the education part of that because I'm just, a typical just dummy that just enjoys what I do. And man, uh, I wouldn't consider myself really overly knowledgeable about this hobby. Honestly, I'm just repeating stuff that I heard from guys that are a lot smarter than me, to be honest. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I didn't anything I do a video on. It's not like I just pulled it out of my butt. It's just, you know, I've heard it or maybe I've expanded on it from what I've heard to somebody. Or, you know, there's always ways to improve on an idea and do things, but Anything that any of us are doing right now, it's already been done. It's just that a lot of people don't share ideas and things. So it's just yeah. to be to get to share it so that average Joe can read it and watch the video is is a huge help. Well, Casey, uh, he actually helped me out with a project here recently. Um, I guess we could go ahead and oh, yeah. let, let the cat out of the bag because it worked. Right. It, it, it oh, finally yeah. worked. Uh, and anyway, I, I was – sharing the, the story with the, with someone and, uh, she recommended that she said, well, you need to be documenting that, you know, pictures, doc, you know, need to be posting about it. That's really awesome. Um, and I, I've told you a little bit about it, Terry, but, uh, for the listeners, uh, I've got my first FR sky radio, uh, kind of, no. kind of, well, it's FR sky protocol. It's FR Sky it's Guts. A, yeah, it's actually a Futaba radio. <laughs> yeah. That thing is pretty cool, especially this super tiny screen on the front top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, we made it work. So originally it didn't work. Right. That was actually about a, what, an hour process of getting that to work. Man, there was, there was a little bit more to it than, than what we thought going into it. And it took a pretty good uh, dive into uh, Google searching and YouTube videos and stuff like that to finally figure it out. I'll say this. I would not have accomplished this without Casey. I would have given up like about 30. I was like, man, we're just going to solder this to this to this and it's going to work. Yeah, no. no. Well, <laughs> well, the first radio we tried it out on, it was a CPPM instead of PPM. It was no, PCM. PCM. Yeah. yeah. And then we figured out that that won't work at all because that's not even close to the same. Yeah. So we spent, we spent a good hour probably on that. Yeah. So what it was, uh, we had a Fataba Conquest that Kirk had given me, and uh, it was PCM. So we tried that. We thought we had it figured out, oh, it's going to work. Yeah, it didn't. So then we did a little bit of research, like, okay, PCM won't work, and that particular model radio was not mode so selectable or something right. like that. You couldn't switch. Couldn't switch. And then so we went back to the Fataba Gold case. And, uh, the dummy that I am, I had messed it up. Actually, it probably would have worked, but, uh, I was in there. I was like, ah, we don't need the antenna no more. So I'm going to remove these wires. Well, you actually had to have the ground wire. Yeah. I had to have the ground. And then, uh, we also found that we had to bridge the ground to another ground to make, make something work to make the uh, battery meter work. That's it. Yep. And that's what was carrying power to, to make the module and everything work. So anyway, Casey figured all that out and we ended up getting the, uh, 
is a FG five. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Yeah, it's like Little five gold box. PK or five channel gold box. Yeah, and Kirk supplied the radio. I bought the module, and Casey supplied all the soldering and figuring it out and making it work. It, man, it was a little bit of a task, but I mean, it's not like I figured it out. I finally found a post somewhere that kind of pointed me in the right direction, you know? Yeah. I just had some perseverance. That's, that's the only thing I brought to the table and some soldering skills. Yeah. And I learned something about coupling old stuff with new stuff. Don't take anything for granted. Do all your final checks because so here's what we did. <laughs> the radio we know, every, everyone knows of old Fotaba, any of those old radios, they didn't have Expo, they didn't have servo travel. I mean, it had like a really rudimentary dual rates and, and dip switches, and that was it, you know? Yeah. So, trims, that was about it. Yeah. So, my idea was okay, we're going to take FR Sky, we're going to output FR Sky modulation to an X8R. Is that right? Yeah, we use an X8R S-Bus. Yeah, and then we're going to S- output S-Bus to an Aura. And then in the Aura config, I can use all the do all the server reversing, all the expos and travels and all that. And I can have all the new stuff I want, but in the utilizing this old case. Okay, so that sounds easy enough, right? Well, when you normally set up an Aura config, your transmitter is always in normal. Uh, meaning you don't reverse any of the servos. Well, we take it and I set it up. I had to reverse the elevator and I had to reverse the throttle in the config tool. I was like, okay, no big deal. We go out to fly the airplane and it didn't go so good. And I crashed it twice, like immediately. And yeah, the, fir- the first one we should have known something, ex- but yeah. but we didn't, and we just kept going. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> should have stopped at the first right. one. Well, the second time we broke the prop, and it's like, all right, well, this isn't working. We got to figure out what's going on, and then it clicked after it's too late. It's like I didn't check the gyro correction direction. Right. <laughs> so I go check it, and the elevator's backwards. Oops. Easy fix. You reverse it on the transmitter. Then by doing that, I had to go back in the config tool and get it right there. But uh, that's a little known fact is if it if you reverse it in the transmitter, it will cause issues with the, the gyro correction. So I reversed it on the transmitter. We got the aura config, reversed it there. So now it's traveling the right way. Gyro is correcting the right way. I just need a prop, and then we're going to retest again. And I was... I think Matt's going to bring me a prop tomorrow. So we're going to get to retest and hopefully it goes good tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool because that's going to be our first YouTube video. Yeah. And we're going to leave in the bad stuff. Hell, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. Embarrassingly (laughs) bad. Hey, but you're thinking out of the box and doing stuff and you're learning things as you go. I mean, I just don't think this, this day and age, not enough people take the time to experiment and just have fun well man i think the goal of this is to go out on some flight line with some gold box fataba with a flag hanging off of it like a weirdo and then you're out there just <laughs> tearing it up you know well so that conversation about the uh, get the longest antenna you can find. oh yeah fishing pole <laughs> man 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, you knew we need like a bobber rod on the end. Of oh it yeah, man. Just to add That's what we'll do, man. Carrie makes custom fishing rods. Hey, Carrie, make us make us a big wrap that. it in aluminum foil, dude. I want this thing ten foot long, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the sad part about this whole story. I'm not going to give all the secrets away, but Ford Bronco, Jorts, and this radio all have something to do with each other. And this is a two year old joke. Going way too far out oh, of control. Oh yeah, it's going to be good stuff. I like to bring the comedy element to things, so that's kind of how that's going to go. Yeah. Well, it, like I said, it's a joke that has just really morphed out of control. I mean, I'm thinking like RC Boomhauer, man. That's that. That's where I want to go with this. That's what I want to put out. It'll be a. It'll be a big production. So Casey, give me the the Asian Boomhauer earlier. Oh. God. Oh was, no! It was good stuff. No, you can't do that. That's that's not um, oh, not PC. Well, it? it's not culturally sensitive. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was still funny though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not making fun of anybody. It's just an impression. You know, this is what it would be like. It used to be called comedy, right? Yeah, but now you can't you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have many Asian friends, as well as all demographics of people. So. I'm going to be culturally sensitive and we're not going to do that. Thanks right. for putting me on the spot, Clay. You asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, what do you think, guys? Man, I don't really have a whole lot, man. I just really appreciate Terry giving us a second chance. And man, hey, hey, here is something I, I thought of. Man, this guy is on the simulator as much or more than I am. It's so awesome, man. I got on, the, got online the other day and this guy named Terry pops in. And I was on there with uh, Brian Christensen, and he was like in the message box. He goes, Terry Wiles? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, damn, I'm flying with Terry Wiles. It was awesome. It was pretty fun. Speaking of that, yeah, that plane you designed. Especially that, in the wintertime. That plane you designed is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the same one? Yeah, that 330 flies really good. Um, that's uh, definitely my favorite plane. The biggest thing, uh, um, it kind of goes along with electrics and stuff, but on the simulator, if you're flying, you have to do your regular transmitter, not just the, the dumb transmitter that it comes with. Um, set an idle up like you would with, uh, with a gas or an electric, like a real plane. And you, you get a lot more out of your flight training time on there because when you don't have an idle up, those planes tend to just fall out of the air. Right. So actually. I want to throw another thing out there. You actually messaged me after this is the nuts and bolts topic, and we'll probably need to cover it on nuts and bolts tomorrow when we record it uh, on the EDFs. So last uh, episode of it, we talked about EDFs and turbines and what have you. And you sent me a message that uh, recommend uh, doing a throttle up on them and that it helps them uh, stay a little bit more efficient. Uh, can you kind of explain that while I got you on here? Cause that was, yeah, that sure. was great. Don't. It's, uh, that, uh, anything, basically you do it on any gas engine, basically just to keep it going under high G maneuvers. But when you do it on electric, it, uh, when, when you let off the gas, let, you know, if you chop the throttle on an electric or even worse on an EDF, cause you have so many more fan blade, you know, so many more propeller blades on an EDF, it becomes a break. So if you're going with even, even like a 60 inch electric, if you fly full throttle and chop the gas, you can hear the hear the air go through the through the prop because it's still spinning, and it just became a you just well could have put a paper plate on the front of your plane because it becomes a brake. 
And uh, even if you don't have a brake set up on the ESC, that's completely different. But um, if you have an idle up, then it actually carries that momentum, even if it's not, you know, spinning under throttle, it still carries that momentum, so it doesn't slow down nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that it does, and I don't know all of the ins and outs of it, but on your electric speed control, when you're constantly going from no input to, to full or to no input to basically any, the ESC has to, I think it... Somebody told me it's something about recalibration. It basically recalibrates itself every time you throttle up. And so there's a pause. And um, the more times you do that, you can actually do damage to some ESCs by, by doing that, by constantly going on, off, on, off. Yeah, we, uh, or I, uh, a friend of mine smoked a really good ESC in one of my airplanes. <laughs> I had a Castle 160 that uh, let all the magic smoke out from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've I've kind of taken the the same thing, but I've added another thought process to it. Not just from a strictly uh, reliability standpoint, efficiency, and all that, but even to a safety standpoint. So, with my bigger electrics, and I'm what I mean by bigger electrics are 6s. Uh, mm-hmm. and even on some of my small 3S airplanes, I've done it. Uh, I do a throttle up, but I do it very simply. And what I do is just an on-off switch. So I've got it trimmed to where it's off and the throttle stick won't do anything. And then I move my switch and then the motor starts turning um, and it stays turning no matter where the throttle stick is at. At low idle, it's got a, uh, or at low stick position, it's got a really low idle on the prop and part of the thought process for me was a safety thing. So if the motor has the potential to harm me, you know, by turning it's turning, right? So my, I'm cognizant of it. I'm paying attention to it because, Hey, it's turning right now. It's on. If I bump the throttle, it's going to go right into me or into the wall or whatever. And then if it's not turning, it doesn't have the potential to do anything. Yeah. So it's just, uh, I've seen a couple of times where, okay, you had a, an arming switch, but when it was armed, the motor with the throttle stick down was off. It gets bumped. Right. You know, I've seen that happen before where it's like, well, I had a safety switch, but I had it in the wrong position and didn't realize I had it in the wrong position. So. Right. That's why I've seen people use different setups for electric versus gas. And I was. I don't, I don't make a business of going around and telling people what to do, but I always, when I'm explaining to somebody how to set something up, I suggest that they set it up exactly like they would a gas plane. So like I do, my engine kill is my engine kill on my gas, and my idle up is my idle up on my gas planes. And um, kind of for that reason, I mean, you're, and even foamies. I'm, I've flown foamies with an idle up for so long now that, you know, if you're going to crash, it's just not, it's second nature to just, hit the kill switch. Right. And, but, uh, but I, on an EDF jet with the idle up, uh, you can actually do, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you can get almost a full pass. I mean, if you do a high throw, high, like a full throttle pass and chop the gas and you've got to idle up on an EDF, you can almost go around and come back at you. And it, it carries that much more momentum with that fan going, versus dying 
Right. Yeah, so it's pretty impressive on the EDS. On my little Avanti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, something that you may think about too, Kirk, uh, since you're getting into turbines now with the uh, what is it? Bobcat? Bobcat. That's what I was good. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think <laughs> of. I was I was thinking Banshee, and I was like, it's not Banshee though. Bobcat. Uh, one of the other things that was suggested was put a uh, delay on your throttle mm-hmm. on your EDF to prepare yourself for the Train spool time. yourself for that two-second delay. Oh, yeah, yep. I do that, too. I do it like a two-second or two or three-second spool up and a two-second spool down. Yeah. So I think that would uh, be a good training tool yeah. to go from uh, from that EDF to that jet cat that you got. Yeah, I'm definitely going to need a little practice. That's the first turbine I've ever flown. So yeah. Plus, they sound better in the air than when you make a pass and just hammer the gas in it. Goes to full, <laughs> right? It just sound, sounds a little unnatural in here, <laughs> right? Absolutely, man. I've learned so much just in the show. I'm a dumbass, but I'm not now. You know, I'm, I'm getting smarter as we go. Oh man, everybody's got something to bring to the table. Just like you stayed at a Motel Six last night. Oh man, Tom Bodette <laughs> left that light on for oh, me. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it was the Holiday Inn. That's what it said. Well, I'm not a doctor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, fellas, what do you guys think about uh, wrapping it up and heading to the house? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Good. To, I'm going to get up early in the morning and go flying. Yep, me too. I can't wait. Road trip in the morning. Yep. So we're going to Duncan. Yeah, this is going to be a good time. I think we're going to have a lot of people show up, I actually. think so, man. I think it's going to be a good turnout. Yep. We got a lot of a lot of new stuff to to bring out too that uh, has been tucked away. So maybe we'll get some video content and and get to working on that part of. Our- I'm not going to guarantee it, but I'm definitely going to try harder to be a little bit more geared towards that. Well, I might even bring my camera out. There you go. You know what though? I got this iPhone 12, and dude, it's better than any camera I ever owned. Man, I mean, really, for not if you don't know how to use a camera, camera that does better. You know what I'm saying? If you oh, were to yeah. go buy a, a point fi- and shoot. if you were to go buy a five thousand dollar DSLR and try to make video look as good as that does straight out of camera, you're not going to do it. Well, the camera recorder deal I've got is ten years old, I think. Right. So the technology is just wasn't there at that time, and it wasn't I mean, like an expensive camera at that time either. So I've got a thirty five hundred dollar DSLR, and yeah, my phone takes just as good of pictures, but. Yeah. Well, it, well, here's, I mean, you don't have the manual modes and everything on your camera. So right. when you get real nerdy, I mean, I can do a lot of stuff with a DSLR that you cannot do with a, with a, with a camera phone. You know, yeah. absolutely cannot pull that yeah, off. You can. Clay and Kirk cannot. Right. <laughs> That's the difference. But I mean, you get real nerdy with a DSLR, you can do some really cool stuff. But if you don't know how to use it, you're better off with, with one of those. Yeah. And I mean, there's YouTube channels where people just use, I mean, one of the, Mike Patey, you yeah. know, Dude, that's shot with a with an iPhone. Right. That whole deal. And you know what? I can't wait for another episode to come out. It doesn't matter what you're shooting with as long as your content's good. Those breaks that he just did are unreal. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I never even thought of a setup yeah. like that with the caliper inside. That's unreal to me. Man, I'm hoping he I has just, I'm hoping he has this thing done by the time uh High Sierra High Sierra rolls around because uh I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna see that. Yeah. Awesome. So, I just binge watched every episode of that uh, scrappy yeah. build while I was building my lasers last week. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it's good stuff, man. 
I, I did this. I did the same thing. Uh, whenever Casey told me about him, it's been six months ago, I think. I watched a ton of them, and then I've kind of kept up since then. But uh, dude, that thing's gonna be unreal. Oh yeah, it's gonna be. Kind of got man. sad when it came to the last episode, and they stopped. And like, and dang it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. See now you're caught up. Now you're now you're in my camp. You're you got to wait yeah. till another one comes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I found something else. Speaking of High Sierra, I found something. I'm gonna show you. It's a it was a just aircraft with a Yamaha motorcycle or snowmobile engine. Oh, I know exactly. Turbocharged, yep. 300 horse. Oh yeah. I can't remember the guy's name. Yellow and blue. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Most all the Highlanders are. All of them I've seen have been yellow and blue, but. Anyway, it's a just aircraft Highlander, and it's heavily modified from what I gather. And that dude's a badass behind the stick. Yeah, yeah. He takes off in like six foot. Oh yeah, it's wild, dude. It, that, but it, he goes to High Sierra, right. so I'm that, pretty. It, that engine sounds that. wild too, man. It winds up quick. Like Eleven thousand RPM. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah. So thank God for the experimental class, right? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was uh, another thing so on the video. Uh, this girl that was helping him was wearing a stole drag shirt. I was like, hey, I know about that stuff. Oh, yeah. So uh, it was just cool because it kind of ties in with some of the stuff that we've done. And, uh, you know, those guys, a lot of those guys are RC enthusiasts as well as, mm-hmm. you know, experimentals. And they at least support our part of the hobby. Oh, yeah. Well, Trent Palmer, he's one of those dudes. And one of his videos that got really flagged by on YouTube and the FAA got a hold of him is he... Was th- flying one from the other? Yeah, he was in his aircraft and they threw a, flew a flying wing out of the... And was flying an airplane while in an airplane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, great video. That's how, that's how I came across all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, definitely interested in that. Not, not to the point that I'm ready to go buy one of those. Or, or even attempt to build one, dude. If I had the cash flow, it would already happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have a house with my own runway out back, and I would just fly to your house. I wouldn't have to get my little forty mile a gallon Honda. Yeah, I just, I just, hey man, I'm putting it down at the field. So one of the the comments on these videos was like, I've got nine tenths of an acre, so I think I'm going to put a strip on it. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, hey, that's kind of funny. Hey, if conditions are right, you can do it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, I don't have much else. I need to get to the house. Yeah. Terry, man, I appreciate you taking time out and being on with us again, man. We really greatly appreciate Absolutely. it. We appreciate, what, we appreciate what you're doing in the hobby as well, man. Awesome. Thanks. I appreciate what you're doing as well. I look forward to the next uh, Nuts and Bolts episode. All right. Well, we're recording it tomorrow, and it should be out uh, end of this month. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Terry, we appreciate it, man. All right. You Take bet. care. You Good night. See, See you guys. Guys.